Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. And here's a big word, attachment theory. Seems like <laughs> uh, a big word that it would take a psychology professor to understand. Fortunately, I have one available. And uh, thanks to his availability, we're going to be able to spend part of today uh, discussing attachment theory, how it has affected you and how it does affect you in your relationships. Dr. Andy Scudinga is my guest. He is that psychology professor I'm referring to, and he's sitting just across the studio from me. Andy, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Bill. Yes, you are a psychology professor at the University, uh, North Central University, right here in Minneapolis. You got it. Yeah, so always glad to have you here. I always learn when you come in, uh, and to be honest, I don't know a lot about attachment theory. Can you give us a little history on it? Yeah, um, it's it's a... It's a pretty cool theory, and a lot of people have heard about it, and um, I think there's been – there's been – not I think. There's been tons of research over the last 50 to 60 years. So it kind of popped up in the 60s, 50s and 60s. Um, a guy named John Bowlby um, coined the term attachment theory, or he came up with the theory. Um, but it really stems from some early research in the 50s by a guy named Harlow, Harry Harlow, and this is kind of interesting, and students of mine always love seeing this video or, or hearing me talk about it. Um, Harlow thought that when it comes to attachment and and developing relationships for infants, mm-hmm. that it really based it was really based on food and feeding, and so he did an experiment that you can't do anymore. Like a lot of great ex- psychological experiments, you're not allowed to do them anymore because mm-hmm. they're unethical. Um, he took a bunch of rhesus monkeys and separated them immediately at birth from their mothers, and then he put them in these, these you know pretty decent cages. And he thought that these monkeys, these baby monkeys, would attach psychologically or emotionally to the the monkey mother that they made out of wire, chicken wire and some other stuff. Mm-hmm. And one had a feeding tube out of it, basically a, a rubber nipple that gave milk. Mm-hmm. And then they made another one out of carpet and googly eyes that looked a little more happy and friendly. Mm-hmm. And he thought that these monkeys would attach to the mother, you know, this mother. I'm doing air quotes. Mm-hmm. Again, nobody can see this on the radio. I was doing air quotes. And what happened was the monkeys would scramble to the mother when they were hungry, the, the milk mother, and then immediately when they were done eating, they would scramble back to the carpet monkey, which was completely against what everybody thought in those days. And so Bowlby took this and said, wait a minute, it must be really important how we develop attachment to our biological mothers or our caregivers initially, mm-hmm. and that's where attachment theory began. So in review... They went to the wire monkey for the food and then mm-hmm. went to the carpet monkey for the affection. Yes. So like literally 23 hours of the day, they were clinging to this carpet monkey. Okay. They were shaped the same and they yeah. had a similar looking head. Yeah. But one was simply made out of wire and had a nipple out of the middle of it. And the other one had no nipple but carpet on the body. So it was a little softer and more okay. comforting. It looked... It looks slightly more friendly. But the carpeted poor... one wasn't offering food. No, it didn't do anything. It so just it sat had, there. They had no choice if they wanted to eat. 
No, they had no. They didn't. It was either eat or be comforted. Yeah. And so they would they would run to go. They would scramble like literally. I've seen video. I've seen video of this. They scramble quickly when they're hungry over to the milk monkey mother. Yes. Yeah. Say that three times. Fast. Right. And then as soon as they were done eating, they ran back to the comfort mother. And so it it began to show that we're we're not we don't attach ourselves to caregivers who just simply feed us. It's it's the emotional part of the caregiving. It's the comfort. It's the feeling. It's how we are attaching at a young age, right? Exactly. Ooh. Yeah. Now the plot thickens. Yes, it does. And yeah. so the, then they developed, so Bowlby developed all these different attachment styles. And a lot of it has to do with not, not food at all. It has to do with how well babies are, are being cared for. Mm-hmm. A special shout out to my neighbors who just had a new baby. So they're actually listening today, I guess. Uh, so hello, neighbors. I won't tell you their names. That might be kind of creepy. But yeah, it probably would be. They just had a little baby. And so, yeah, they're now they have to feed this baby and care for it. And mm-hmm. the most important thing we can do for babies is give them the physical care, not just the food, but, you know, the love and the nurturing and the holding. And as they grow older, they'd start to develop these deeper levels of attachment when we give them security and safety. And that's really important for relationships throughout childhood. And Andy, uh, Dr. Andy Scudinga is my guest, and he is a psychology professor at North Central University here in Minneapolis. And we're talking about the attachment theory. Now, it seems, Andy, there's really one ideal attachment, and that would be a secure attachment. Yes. And when you don't have that, (laughs) life is going to be messy. Yeah. Period. It, It really is. I mean, say more about that, but I mean, it's... I want to talk about the different kinds of attachments yeah, because I think it's very interesting and I think people will hear themselves in some of these descriptions and fortunately the only one that's good is the secure attachment and these others might cause some pain to hear about. Yeah, they can and it's fascinating stuff and it's important to remind everybody that this theory has been around a long time and so it's it's been very heavily researched. So... Some of the things that I'll say today are, are generalizations that research has shown over time. Um, it's it's complicated, and yet at the same time, like a lot of the things we talk about when I come on, is some of it's it's kind of simple up front, but when you get into people's lives, it could become more more complicated. So I want to throw that caveat out there. But you know, like even like Freud and Erickson, some of the early psychoanalysts, they also recognize the importance of this kind of early nurturing in in people's lives and how it affects you how it can impact you or affect you long-term. Um, so the the key things that to remember are the opportunity for attachment. You know, children need caregivers. Um, I don't know if you remember, probably 10, 15 years ago, there were some um, investigative journalists who got into these, like, old Eastern Bloc Romanian orphanages. Romania particularly was bad with this, where they'd have hundreds of kids just basically laying in cribs all day with no interaction with humans mm-hmm. other than here's your food, here's your water, you know, they'd keep the temperature relatively nice for all day. But these babies had no interaction and they were incredibly stunted emotionally and intellectually because they weren't getting that physical touch and care or talking. Mm-hmm. And so it's that's, that's on a really extreme level. But if parents don't attach to their kids or they, you know, ignore them, mm-hmm. um, they might be in the house with them, but if their needs aren't being met, their emotional needs aren't being met well, it can cause some attachment problems. So you asked me, there's there's four different attachment styles, and these have all these great, you know, vague names, of course. 
It's one thing we don't do great as psychologists. Sometimes we name things that seem like counterintuitive. So forgive me for that, but it's, it's, I didn't write it. Um, so the first kind is ambivalent attachment. And you'll see this with little kids. Uh, just think about like you bring them to a nursery or a daycare. So these are the kids who become really, really upset. A lot of kids become upset when their parents leave them. But these ambivalent attached kids, they become extremely stressed when the parent leaves. And it's because a lot of times they don't or aren't able to trust that the parent is going to come back and get them or care for them. And the reason is because that's maybe not happening so well. Now, parents who are listening, don't freak out because your kid is the one who cries like a maniac for five minutes when the nursery worker says, okay, thanks, or the daycare worker says, thanks, here's your kid. If If they're telling you it takes about 10 minutes and your kid is fine, that's completely normal. And no one should worry about that. Mm-hmm. It's when they spend the next hour or six hours miserable and crying and upset because you're not there. Mm-hmm. That's ambivalent attachment. And that's not super healthy for your kid. You don't necessarily want them to fit into that category. Um, the second point is part is avoidant attachment. Mm-hmm. And these are the kids who, when the parents come back or they're around even, they avoid them. Like, I just don't. I don't really care if you take care of me or a complete stranger. They're perfectly fine with anybody. Um, these are kids who have often been like abused or been neglected to a serious level where it's this isn't a normal and healthy situation either. And these kids have had it rough, mm-hmm. right? This isn't like a typical family situation. These are these are kids who are growing up in bad, unhealthy situations. Mm-hmm. And so they they really don't they don't see a difference between you or their mother or their father or their primary caregiver. Wow. You know, you and I could show up and they'd be just as attached to us as they would be to them, which is not very much at That's all. That's not healthy. No, it's not. It's yeah. really, it's bad. And then you have secure attachment, which is when you typically, and this is what most people are, probably like 80% of people have secure attachment levels. But you drop the child off and the child is upset for a short amount of time, like a really short amount of time, and then realizes, you know what, you always come back to get me. I'm fine. I feel safe and secure here. Go about your business and then... You can leave them and they'll be okay. So that's kind of the basic understanding. There's a fourth one that's called disorganized attachment, but we don't see this as much because those kids are usually like confused and disoriented, almost dazed. Mm-hmm. And that's that's very uncommon, but it is a fourth type of attachment that we don't see really very often at all. Wow, so critical. I was reading uh, a story of the comedian Rodney Dangerfield. and Yeah. Yeah, and he was a complete mess uh, because of attachment issues. Yeah. Um, his mother withheld affection and kindness, making him feel unwanted at a very young age. And his mother often made cruel remarks that made her lack of love for him very clear. His mother once suggested he open a savings account to put money away for a football uniform. She then stole the money for herself. Ugh. So, That's you know, brutal. You talk about a guy that, you know, built his entire career off, yeah. off raw pain. Yeah. from being a, a child that never really had a secure attachment. No, and thankfully he had comedy as an outlet. I, I mean, get, it's I a pure it. defense mechanism, right? right? I mean, that's like a classic story of, okay, I'm going to turn my pain into humor so I can at least profit off of it. And, you know, that self-deprecation that works for a lot of people. There's yeah. a lot of people out there who use humor as a tool to protect themselves. Of course, it's survival. Absolutely. Yeah. Humor is a wonderful thing, but it can also be it can also be a coat of armor. You know, hey, I'll just joke about everything because if I get serious about this, I'll show you how badly I'm hurting. And so 
it's hard to be vulnerable. It's Andy. really hard. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. who's got who's got that ability to say, look, I'm just going to tell you how sad I am. It may be easier just to make a joke like Dangerfield did, right? Oh, absolutely. Because you're trying to survive. Yeah. And you don't want to feel odd or abnormal, but you're just, that's exactly how you're feeling. Yeah. Yeah, abs- absolutely. I mean, I've used this myself in my own life many times. You know, it's like, no, oh, this is an awkward situation. I'll just, hey, I'll make, I'll say something funny about myself. Yeah. And, you know, you usually turn. You can target yourself because if you're making fun of somebody else, then it's either being mean or, or sarcasm. Sarcasm, too, is another – that's another great tool in people's toolkit for saying, hey, look over here. Don't pay attention to what I'm really dealing with. Mm-hmm. If I'm sarcastic and maybe even caustic, I can kind of send you a little bit and then you'll leave me alone and we don't have to get into that deep and nasty stuff that I'm really trying to protect you from. Mm-hmm. Dr. Andy Scudinga is my guest. We're talking about attachment theory and I'm not – I'm learning a whole lot today on attachment theory. When we come back, we're going to continue this discussion. If you have a question, uh, we'd love to hear what it is. Um, 877-933-2484. What kind of attachment did you have? Did you have a secure one or did you have a little bit of an anxious one or an avoidant one or a disorganized one? And how has it affected your life today? And of course, the power of the gospel transforms every life. So there are certainly chance for a new beginning and a new heart and a new mind and a renewed mind every day through the power of the gospel. But if you have uh, something you'd like to share, send it over, 877-933-2484. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. show. Dr. Andy Scudinga is my guest. We're talking about attachment theory, and I'm learning all kinds of stuff about attachment theory and how your attachment in your early childhood can be, can dictate what kind of life you're going to have. Yeah, it can. Yeah. Uh, I mean, certainly. It, it, it depends on, it depends on several factors, honestly. And one of the biggest questions is, does this last my whole life? You know, if I was insecurely attached as a child, will I always have bad relationships as an adult? And the answer is not necessarily. Again, it's it's complicated. It, it depends. That's one of my favorite answers to give when students ask questions as classes. Well, what about this? Well, it depends because what if you start off as, you know, a two-year-old and you have pretty poor attachment because you didn't have the greatest caregiving, you didn't have biological parents or adoptive parents or foster parents who took very good care of you and you have a difficulty attaching to people, um, is that going to ruin the rest of your life? Well, no, because what if you run into people who do provide that for you when Mm. you're older Mm -hmm. and that can make a difference. That can shift the balance away from, man, I just don't trust anybody and I just don't, I I can't commit. I can't, I can't get too deep with anybody because I'm afraid that if I become attached, it's just going to either get ripped away Mm. or they're not going to be there for me. Interesting. So, Andy, when you have this attachment style, does it come out when the relationship is threatened? Yes, because what happen, what what we see, what research has demonstrated is that 
we see these kind of negative side effects of poor attachment come in stressful times the most. And so if your relationship is struggling and you are a person who's not securely attached or didn't grow up with secure attachment, that's when you will probably run into significant troubles in your relationships because the the, the notion, the, the kind of the default will be to push away rather than to become closer. Now, sometimes people with attachment issues will become the opposite of that. They'll be super clingy mm-hmm. and over... Um, protective of the relationship, they might become extremely jealous. So that it can it can definitely work both ways if you're not aware of this within yourself. Mm-hmm. So when you take a person, uh, Andy, and they are comfortable expressing their feelings mm-hmm. and their hopes and their needs, um, that's probably a good a good indicator that a person has a secure attachment. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, in fact. Usually, so research, so, you know, I was doing some research before this and looking at some at some things and, and a great way to summarize, is, summarize it is this. Adults who are generally securely attached in childhood, mm-hmm. they do tend to have higher levels of self-esteem. They tend to have better romantic relationships and they're more likely to self-disclose to others. So having that secure base as a child is, it's it's pretty important actually. And, you know, for parents, you can... You can strengthen your children's attachment with you through a variety of different ways. Mm-hmm. And one of them is self-disclosure, right? Just telling them, hey, you know, I dealt with this too, whatever it is you're dealing with. Um, you know, with a four-year-old, you don't necessarily disclose the same ways you do with a 15-year-old, obviously. But you can share your own feelings with your children. You can hear them and listen to them and affirm their feelings. And then you can talk to them about ways that they can handle the problems that they have or handle the conflicts that they have. And so being able to demonstrate that, that listening ability and that care for your children, that will greatly enhance the attachment that they have to you because they know it's secure and it's safe. They can tell you things. They can rely on you. If you're a parent who says, hey, that's too bad, but you need to figure it out yourself. I can't help you. That's not going to promote a strong attachment with you and your child, regardless of gender or sex or anything um, we don't see any differences in between males and females and fathers and sons or daughters and mothers. You know, it just really depends on the individual relationship of like the child to the parent in this case. Mm-hmm. Listener wants to know, Andy, is there a fearful, anxious attachment as well? I'm surprised that how high the amount of secure attached people there are. I thought the messed up attachment styles would be much higher. Yeah, surprisingly, it's it's not actually. And I would say probably a research suggests that probably twenty percent, twenty to twenty five percent of people um, have maybe some attachment issues. Not necessarily disorder, but they they have attachment issues. So, um, what the what the listener was talking about is probably would would be the avoidant anxious avoidant disorder, where yeah, you become a little more anxious around around people and relationships, and it can be it can be. Yeah, it can be it can be difficult to to really put your trust in somebody else because you don't believe that they're going to be there to care for your needs, and that's that can be, have harmful long term ramifications for relationships for sure. Yeah, and that can be someone in their fifties. Oh, absolutely. It it doesn't matter your age. Um, if you have trouble with that, it it could be an attachment issue. Mm-hmm. It, it also could be something. Totally different than that. It may not have anything to do with attachment at all. It might be your relationship in that unique spot is a difficult relationship, and and that might take some different kind of work. Mm-hmm. So, what happens when you uh, feel like you're you're overly fixated on 
another person? Oh, that's a great question. Then you have to ask yourself, why? Mm -hmm. You know, what is it fear-based? You know, when you become overly fixated on someone and it becomes an anxious type of fixation, like mm-hmm. a worry, like they're they're going to leave me. I, I just know it. Mm-hmm. Um, then you, you have to question yourself, where where is this fear coming from? Is, is it legitimate? You know, is your is your significant person, whether, you know, it's a dating relationship or even a marriage or a friendship, are they are they literally pulling away from you? I mean, are they starting to to distance themselves, spend less time with you? Maybe that that could be legitimate. But if it's just a fear that you have that's kind of burgeoning within you for no reason, uh, then you, yeah, then you have to ask yourself some some hard questions. Why am I feeling this way? Is this legitimate? Maybe have an honest conversation with the person and s- tell them how you feel without putting the blame on them. Like somehow this is your fault, mm-hmm. and what you're doing is making me feel like you're going to leave me. And they might be like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. What are you talking about? Yeah, they might be looking for maybe constant reassurance, maybe extra attention. Yes. And they're just simply asking for it. Right. Doesn't make it wrong, doesn't make it bad. You know, if anything, it just helps people hear each other. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's an important piece of this. And adults can develop attachment issues as well. They can have secure attachment through childhood and maybe through a series of poor relationships or having been abandoned by somebody that they cared deeply for or loved, possibly. Mm-hmm. You know, they were a boyfriend or a girlfriend um, just suddenly out of the blue just dumps you. Um, a spouse decides to suddenly leave without a whole lot of warning. That can Ooh. cause attachment issues in adults that really didn't manifest itself or have anything to do with childhood. So there's, there's, a, there's a few different ways to look at this. You can have children who have poor attachment grow up as adults who may also struggle with attachment issues due to the childhood. You can have children who were well attached, who have something traumatic happen in high school or adolescence, Mm -hmm. who deal with attachment issues. And you can have somebody in their 40s who suddenly loses attachment to someone. Could be a death. Mm -hmm. Could be a sudden cutoff of, uh, you know, a slice of a a relationship being ended abruptly. Um, That can cause attachment issues as well. Uh, Dr. Andy Scuddinga is my guest. Andy, as we talk about... attachment styles and attachment theory. Mm-hmm. What about people who are trying to maybe avoid emotional connection with others? They'd really rather not rely on others or have others rely on them. Oh, that's interesting. It could be related to attachment or it could be somebody being just simply very dependent and self-protectionistic. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't think is a technical term. I think I may have just made that up. I like that. I like you making stuff up. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, lots more with Dr. Andy Scuddinger. If you have a, a question or you want to contribute to this discussion we're having, you can send it over via text 877-933-2484. Talking about attachment theory. I'm learning all kinds about it. There are roughly four different kinds, and obviously the best one is a secure attachment. And if you don't have a secure attachment, there might be issues you've had as an adult. And if you want to share any of that, we'd love to hear it. 877-933-2484. 
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. If you just joined us, welcome to the show. I hope your day's been going well. Dr. Andy Scudding is my guest. We're talking about attachment theory. I didn't know much about it until Andy walked into the studio today, so I am learning a lot. I hope you are too. Apparently, there's four different types of attachment. There's a secure attachment, which is what we all hope we had. Um, There's also an ambivalent or anxious preoccupied attachment. There's an avoidant dismissive attachment and a disorganized attachment. And Andy, I'd love to talk about resilience because I would assume if you have a secure attachment, you'd be able to maintain kind of a nice emotional balance and you would find ways to do um, uh, manage conflict in relationships. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's all about independence and developing self, some, some levels of self-reliance, which is really important for kids. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, we've t- we've talked about this a few times before. Part of part of parenting is protecting your kids from bad things, but another part of it is preparing your kids for bad things. Yeah, you you protect them, and but you also prepare them because you're not always going to be there to hold their hand. And one thing that's helpful for developing a good attachment is letting your kids go. You know, handing your child to somebody else and letting somebody else hold the child. Mm-hmm. Um. And not standing six inches away, waiting for the child to be dropped by you know, <laughs> your neighbor. So mm-hmm. neighbors, I will never drop your baby. I just mm-hmm. want to promise you that. Um, but it's so it's a, it's a two way street. Some of it's the child developing this way on its own, and some of it is you know parental care and and caregiver care. You want to make sure that your caregivers are taking care of every child's needs. Mm-hmm. You know, fairly fairly carefully. Well, that's a lot of care in one sentence. Um, but yeah, you know, the the resiliency of children is is really dependent on on genetics for one yeah. thing. You know, part of it's just your your makeup as a person, but it's also us teaching children how to be resilient and how to fight through things that are negative. Yeah. Let's talk about resiliency in us adults. Yeah. And relative to our attachment style. So if we have a secure attachment, Andy, I think what you're saying is we should be resilient um and as a Christian, we should be resilient and standing on the on our faith and Absolutely. the strength of the Lord. Yeah, and that's for so many people it's so much easier said than done, right? Mm-hmm. We get we get, you know, let's think anxiety or worry about something. We we worry, right? We worry and we worry and we think how can I control this and what can I do about it? How can I make sure that I'm protected or that I'm taken care of? And really you know, we just need to give these things to God sometimes and just say, okay, here you go. I, I'm I'm worried about this too much and I'm not doing anything productive about it. God, what I give this to to you. Mm-hmm. And you know, in the secular world you can't do that. You can't tell clients, you know, if you're a therapist, you can't be like, Hey, just give it to God. And they're like, I don't believe in God. So that that doesn't work for everybody. But but for believers, man, who have the opportunity to say, Okay, Lord, I'm I turn this over to you. That's a that's a beautiful thing. And I think that also increases our resiliency as human beings too. When we are able to say, I can't control and fix this on my own. Mm-hmm. I need I need help. Not only do I need emotional and physical help from others around me, but I need spiritual help. I need I need God's help in this situation. Mm-hmm. So Andy, maybe you um have felt worn down 
by fear and anxiety about whether or not your partner loves you. Mm-hmm. So that that would be connected to a certain attachment style, wouldn't it? It can. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Um, if you feel like, uh, do people love me? Do they care about me? Do they have my best interest at heart? If you're always worried about that, that must be a reflection of some attachment style that you're still struggling with today. Yeah, I would say that's I would say that's true. Um, I you know let me I would have to think. Yeah, that's probably more of an ambivalent attachment when you start to feel like I I don't know if my my wife loves me anymore. I don't know if my husband. I don't know if my family really loves me all that much mm-hmm. anymore. When it starts to become, uh, when it starts to affect the patterns of your behavior too, that's when you have to look at it and say, okay, am I dealing with an attachment issue that's gone above and beyond just worry? And mm-hmm. now, now it's impacting. Now I'm pushing people away, even though I want them to be closer to me. Or I'm so. I'm so attached to them. You know, it's like those magnetic bears you put on your fridge that <laughs> yeah. you clip, yeah. right? And nobody wants that because that becomes suffocating. And you then you can push people away by squeezing them too hard because now they're like, I can't breathe. You're you're suffocating me emotionally. I can't, mm-hmm. I can't do that. So we have to make sure that we're not getting into either one of those kind of uh, not disordered behaviors, but it's kind of a negative behavior that pushes the people away. Mm-hmm. Andy, what if your sense of self-worth is resting on how you feel like you're being treated in the relationship? Well, then you're never going to be happy. Because if your self-worth is based on how other people treat you, then you're you're probably asking for trouble. Mm-hmm. Because we have to we have to find self-worth first of all as being created in the image of God. Right, that that gives us wealth and v- value above and beyond all things on earth. That is our our humanity being created in God's image. That alone gives us more value than anything else in in creation. Right, and so after that, we have to look at the other things that make us valuable. We have purpose in the world. We, uh, you know, for believers, we belong to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, I belong both body and soul, life and death, to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ. That's the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an important one for people to know, I think. And once you can put your value in those two things, I think it becomes easier for us to look at how we look at our value in other people's eyes, which isn't as important as we sometimes think it is. Mm-hmm. Andy, talk about how we are so hardwired for connection. And and deep down, what we want more than anything is a close, meaningful relationship. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And starting with our intimacy with God. And if we don't have that, what do we turn around and offer people in the world? Not much. Kind of, yeah. I mean, when you compare it to what God offers us as as far as a relationship, person-to-person relationship has incredible value. And God created us for that as well. You know, we're not just meant to be, you know, aesthetics who sit out in a monastery and commune with God only. Other, then we can't procreate and have children and do all those other kinds of things. So that's not what we're meant for only. It's not only for a relationship with God. We're created to have a relationship with one another. And the relationship with God obviously is the most important. The relationship with our loved ones and friends is, is you know, takes a backseat to that. But yeah, I mean, even secular scientists would will point to all kinds of research that says yeah, we have to have relationships with others. Mm-hmm. And they have to be quality relationships or we will be unhappy, we'll be lonely, we'll be we'll have lower self-esteem without quality relationships with one another. Mm-hmm. I know we haven't talked a lot about the disorganized attachment style, and I don't know if I understand this one at all, but 
does it have some connection to uh, people feeling like, boy, Andy, I wish you would take responsibility for your actions. You're kind of all over the map. You've got some, <laughs> you've got some antisocial yeah. negative behaviors kind of thing. And um, I don't know if, if how we're going to make this better. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, that's the one that I know the least about, okay. honestly, is the disorganized attachment. That's a newer one. Um, yep. Bowlby came up with ambivalent, avoidant, and secure early on. And then later this disorganized attachment was uh, kind of a confused mix of different things that children do in response to what's going on around them. They're yeah. kind of ambivalent around parents and around their caregivers, but a lot of it has to do with the inconsistent care that they get mm. from the people around them as well. Yeah. And I think that's the same with adults. When you're around people who who you you might one day they're comforting and helpful to you and the next day they're they're mean and nasty and it's that that constant ebb and flow of I don't know if I'm being cared for or not mm-hmm. that can lead to the disorganized yeah. type of attachment where you're not sure if you're attached every day yourself. Right. You really that's where the disorganized comes from. Right. I wonder if someone with a disorganized attachment style had trouble self-soothing their emotions. That's a that's a great thought. I mean, because don't as a parent you'd want to teach your kids how to self-soothe your emotions. Oh yeah, that's a huge I mean, huge thing for parents to teach their children. Yeah, and if you never really learned how to do that, you might think that the world around you is frightful and unsafe and scary. Well, Bill, that's what's happening to. That's what some people believe is happening to this current generation of children. And I don't know what gen we're in now. Gen, I don't know which gen. Z, we're in. I think now, or like college students and young people. Um, one of the big concerns in 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 psychology today is snowplow parents. We've we've I think we've touched on this before, but the idea that I will clear every obstacle out of the way of my children. I I am preparing the road for my child mm-hmm. rather than preparing my child for the road. And when those people become adults whose parents took care of everything and solved every problem and got in the way of every obstacle, those kids literally grow up unable to deal with those things on their own. And they go to work and they're like, this is hard. I, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it's just work. You're going to be okay. Well, I feel very anxious about this. Well, yeah, because the big report is due to the boss tomorrow and we're going to get fired if it's not done well. That's normal anxiety. Right. It's, I think we have that wired into us so that we can recognize problems and work to solve them. But if we're taught as children that problems are something for other people to deal with, I will take care of all this for you, then those kids don't grow up to learn how to handle their own issues, and that can become really problematic. Yeah, because you you want them to experience trouble under your roof because those are character-building experiences. Absolutely. And you want to be shepherding through those experiences. Absolutely. And then they walk out into the world with confidence, knowing how to solve some significant problems. That's exactly right. You know, it's, it's, you know, you don't let your child run out into a crowded street to teach them resiliency because they can't handle that, right? They can't, they can't cope with, with traffic because they don't understand how it works. So you don't let them do that sort of thing. Um, But if there's, three or four kids playing in a sandbox and one of the kids does something aggressive and your child cries. Sometimes it's better for parents to let the children kind of figure it out and see what happens instead of rushing in, taking the sandbox away, taking the children away, running them home, washing them off and telling them it's got to be all okay. Sometimes we need to let our kids deal with that stuff on their own. And I think that's part of this attachment conversation is 
when you're there as a parent or as a caregiver, you know, like if you're a grandparent or aunt or uncle raising a child, when you give them that opportunity to try and to do on their own, but you're there behind them if it doesn't go well, to pick them up and say, hey, you know what? It maybe wasn't a good idea to do that, but you're going to be okay because here I am to help you mm-hmm. get over it. Maybe next time you should do X, Y, or Z instead. That's so much more valuable for children and so much more powerful for them to say, you've got my back. I can actually go out and explore the world knowing that I can come back to you and you're going to be there for me. And I think that mirrors the relationship that we have with God. God isn't like hovering. Well, actually, he kind of is. But, you know, <laughs> you know, we're not hearing a voice from heaven like, don't go down to that sandbox, right? God doesn't do that for us all the time. But he allows us to experience the world, make decisions, but he's always there for us. He's always there to hold our hand. You know, the old footprints in the sand thing that we used to have mm-hmm. on walls everywhere right. in schools and churches. That's that's a truism for a reason. We're we're allowed to go do that in life and learn from our mistakes because, hey, it's a broken and sinful world. Mistakes happen all the time and we're going to make them. Mm-hmm. How do we teach our kids to make a mistake, fix it, learn from it, and grow? That's a really important part of bringing people up in the world. Mm-hmm. My guest is Dr. Andy Scudinga. He's a psychology professor at North Central University here in the Twin Cities. When we come back, I'm going to ask him about some of the causes of an insecure attachment. I've got a little list here. I'm going to run it by him and see if I'm on the right track or not. We'll take a short break and be right back. Thanks so much for listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. If you enjoy what you're finding here, consider subscribing to some of our other faith radio podcasts, like mine, for instance. You can search Susie Larson Live at myfaithradio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Andy Scuddinga is my guest. He's a psychology professor. We're talking about attachment today, which I find a fascinating topic, and I've learned a lot. Thank you, Andy. Mm-hmm. You've done a fantastic job to this point. Thanks. Uh, but now it's, <laughs> it's, it's how you end. Right. I could, I could ruin it all. You could blow it in the last 12 minutes. Just yeah. So you know. That's recency bias, by the way. You think of the thing that's most recent. In <laughs> right. So if I blow this segment, everybody's going to be like, that guy's terrible. Yeah, right, right. Where'd you find him? So let's say there are people thinking, I I think I have got an insecure attachment, but maybe it wasn't as much their fault because they had a maybe a very inexperienced or very young mother. Maybe their mom uh, experienced depression. Maybe there were drugs and oh, alcohol sure. in the family. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe they got an illness when they were young and they, and they sort of ended up having to be cared for full-time for a while. And there was maybe physical neglect or a, a, emotional abuse. It's not their fault. No, not at all. Those are all very real things that happen to lots of people, unfortunately. And yeah, those those are the those are really the the kind of the building blocks of attachment issues when you're neglected, when you're when you're poorly taken care of. And yeah, having having parents who are high on drugs most of the time, you're not going to be well cared for. No. Um, you know, when I was doing when I was providing therapy, I had a lot of young people and probably half of my clients had attachment issues mm-hmm. because they 
they were being raised in broken homes where where I was at where I was practicing um there was a lot of um a lot of families had had drug issues where fathers and mothers both were being incarcerated for long periods of time for drug activity um and so a lot of those kids had significant attachment disorders because they weren't being cared for and they had family members who were kind of coming in and out of their lives you know grandma would take them for a month and then foster care would take them for six months and then they'd go back to grandma's house or back to mom or dad's house. And those those poor kids, I mean, it's heartbreaking because they have nothing to do with any of those decisions that are right. being made around them, but they pay the price. Yeah, And yeah, for, for those people out there who are listening who might be feeling like, that's me. I mean, this is, you're talking about me. I have, I definitely have attachment issues. It's, it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. And this, by and large, has not been shown to be a genetic issue. It has almost everything to do with nurture, mm-hmm. not, not nature. Mm-hmm. Here's a question, Andy, and this breaks my heart. I'm a woman of color and find that my church white community will not embrace me as a fellow Christian. Is this an attachment problem with race? Mm. I don't know how to answer that. I don't think so. No, I think it's more... You're just not in a community that embraces you for who you are. Mm, heartbreaking. Listen. It is, and that, that's that's difficult. That's that's sad to hear. And I'm and I'm sorry, listener, that you are in that situation. And yeah, I, I don't, I don't. There's not an easy answer for you, but I don't think that's an I don't think that's an attachment issue. Um, it maybe it could be for you in the long run, um, but yeah, I would I would find a way to be honest with some leaders in your church and let them know how you feel and that you feel marginalized or you feel kind of unseen. Mm -hmm. Another listener already chimed in and said, you need a new church. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I didn't want to quite go that far and say that, but that might be exactly what you need to do. Yeah. I love when listeners minister to other listeners live on the show. That's pretty cool, actually. It's really cool. Yeah, it's really, really Because I'm sure cool. a lot of people had a thought, but like, well, I'm there never going to hear me or say anything about it. But yeah, that's, well, a, that's you know, probably the best advice. She goes on to say, I, I, I'm a born-again believer, and I need fellowship. Yeah, you do. So amen. So yeah, I'm sorry that's uh, been a concern of yours. Yeah, that that's that's tough. I would I would find find people who can recognize you for who you are and, and appreciate that for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Is there hope for attachment with my daughter whose father was very narcissistic and poisoned her mind against me? She's almost 30 and blames me for her teenage mental health issues, including anorexia and drug use. Oh, that's so hard. Yeah, there is always hope. There's always, always hope. And it might be some years of therapy. It might be some hard and direct conversations um, but yeah, having a parent who dealt with narcissism, that's, that's incredibly difficult. To it is, with. isn't it? Narcissism is, it's not highly common actually as a disorder. Narcissistic personality disorder is, is pretty rare as far as things go, but it's, it's incredibly hard for the people around them to deal with in the aftermath of situations like that is, is really tough. Yeah. Your daughter, um, uh, is probably pointing the scapegoat finger at the wrong person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure you've had a tough, I mean, if she's 30, you've been dealing with this for a long time. Um, but I would continue to, to, to pray for guidance and, and wisdom and pray that she would be able to see that um, it's not all your fault. And, you know, of course, we don't know the situation. 
you know, we, we all have mistakes that we make in, in relationships like this. And, and I, I, yeah, I encourage you just to continue to dialogue and be honest and open with one another. Mm-hmm. Another question about attachment issues. In my daily Bible study, some days I feel so close to God all day, and other days I question his love. Do you think attachment is part of that? No, I think that's actually pretty normal for a lot of us. <laughs> yeah. Really. I mean, I think we have days like that where you just really feel in tune with God and what he's what he's saying to you and what he's doing in your life. And then others, you're like, man, are you paying attention to me? And I know there's billions of people in the world, but God, I, I got stuff going on here. Can you help me out? I No, I, I wouldn't say that's an attachment issue based on what you're what you're saying. I think that I think that's part of the kind of the humanity of a walk with God. We sometimes feel like he's not there. Mm-hmm. How should I help my teenage daughter, 13 years old, who's dealing with a negative past from bad friends? Oh, yeah. She does not like school anymore and has autism. She has no friends at school. It just breaks my heart. Oh, that's tough. I I mean, my, my, my immediate thought is find a, a church with a youth group that has caring kids that can meet your daughter where she's at and can understand her autism. I don't know, you know, if she's high functioning or, or moderate, low functioning autism. I mean, there's different levels of autism too. So for the listener, yeah, when you have a daughter who's 13, there's so many things going on, right? You know, totally. Yeah. You've got puberty, you've got your body changing, you've got tough friend situations. There's millions of middle school kids out there who feel the same way as your daughter. I'm all alone. I have no friends. And I would just encourage her to keep seeking out good relationships in her school and look for kids that she wants to be around and help her learn how to cultivate those relationships. And that's where, as parents, we come in pretty handy to help show them how do you develop a good relationship with somebody? Mm -hmm. How do you become friends with somebody you want to become friends with? You know, stalking them on Facebook and sending them TikTok videos, that's not very effective. Talking to them and learning, you know, giving them coping skills that they can use to make good friendships. It takes hard work Mm -hmm. on behalf of the child and the parent, for sure. Yeah, so that certainly would be one way is to develop relationships with people who are securely attached. Absolutely. I mean, you almost want to date for friends, don't you? Yeah. And find friends (laughs) that you are sort of uh, attracted to who they are and, and how they uh, connect to people and how they speak about other people. And you think, I want to be their friend. Right. right. That's exactly it. I mean, I've talked to lots of college students and, you know, my own kids and, and middle schoolers who have dealt with loneliness and finding people. And it's the same when you're six as when you're 58. Right. You have to find when you need friends, you identify the type of people that you want to be around. Yeah. You find out where they are. And if that's a different church, like if you're in a church and you don't have any friends there, start looking. I think there's nothing wrong with pastors don't like that advice, but they don't want to see people leave their church. But if you're if you're not finding community where you're at, go go look for it. Mm-hmm. That's 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 what I would su- suggest. I mean, that's that's hard to do because we get, you know, we get in our routines, we have our regular things, we have people and things that we like to do on a normal basis. Sometimes tipping over your personal Apple cart is a really good thing to do. Yeah, but to sit around and wait for your phone to ring may not be great advice. No, and and actually, nobody calls anymore anyway. That's true. You got to start texting people and don't do TikTok. I'm just telling you right now, don't get into social media. Yeah. Just skip it, folks. Skip it? Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm with you. Skip Andy. social media. We well, can do a whole, we could do like a 12 week podcast on social media. I know we could because it, it has more opportunity for destruction than it does anything life enhancing. That'd be my take on it. Yeah. I tend to lean that way. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we're not like old men getting people off our lawn. I mean, this is like research is beginning to show this pretty clearly. Yeah. So, Andy, this has been an interesting hour for sure. Yeah. Um, if people have an unresolved childhood trauma, there's always opportunities to go talk to a professional about that. Absolutely. Um, and that would be find, find that if you have had trauma, and maybe it happened many years ago, there are steps you can do to overcome that pain and maybe regain some of your... Uh, emotional stability. Everybody can be healed to some degree. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. And Jesus will do that. And you can find probably a, an amazing counselor that can help you do that. You know, I teed you up for that, right? I, uh, yeah. That's perfect. You're, you're not a, that was I mean, perfectly you're a, done. you're a psychology professor. You're not a counselor. So no, nobody, I was one, but, and I could be again. Yeah. But I like the teaching part. It's really fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for teaching about this. This has been a very interesting hour, and Thanks I learned a lot, and I always like learning on the show. So thank you again. That is all the show we have for today. I'm so pleased uh, that we were able to spend this time together. I don't know how much of the show you heard, but if you did miss some of it, I am going to recommend going to the podcast, and maybe as you're making dinner tonight or or relaxing in the evening, you might want to turn the podcast on and have a nice, relaxing time with me because I love spending time with you. Have a great night, everyone, and I will see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.